Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 116. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising who wants ideas and a dose of encouragement to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. This time, we're looking at a thinking tool which helps you grow results by developing a clear and persuasive value proposition for your charity. I was delighted to get another chance to talk with Tim Kachuriak, who you may remember from episode 114. If you want to check it out, in that one, we talked through three things that a charity can do to increase fundraising results during tough economic times. Tim's company, Next After, has spent years conducting thousands of experiments into the big strategies as well as the small shifts that affect fundraising results. He told me that of all the activities a charity can do, improving the value proposition is the most reliable in bringing improved results. Initially to individual donations via the website, and then after that to all other types of fundraising as well. This is an idea that any charity can try out relatively easily. And in this episode, Tim explains the practical steps you can take to do that. Hello again, Tim Kachuriak, how are you? Hey, Rob, you had me back. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much the other day for doing the original episode. And as sometimes happens, I discovered that you had way more than we could possibly fit into one episode for the show. So thank you for coming back. I guess the first thing I would say is if our listeners have not already heard that original episode you did for us, where we looked at things that our charities can do in times of economic trouble to help our donors keep us as one of the charities they still keep supporting. And we talked about the importance of a testing mindset generally. And then you offered three really specific, valuable things that charities can do and ongoingly test the power of. So thank you for that. But I do remember one of your key bits of advice then was about the importance of a value proposition Mm -hmm. and the more energy and effort we could put into that and the testing of what that could be including for instance on the donation page that that really i mean there's no single silver bullet to solve all fundraising challenges but this would be up there in your advice to your clients for a really important thing to solve absolutely so as i mentioned before we've run over four thousand experiments in our fundraising research lab and we've learned a lot of what works and what doesn't when it comes to inspiring people to give to charities that they care deeply about. And out of all of our testing, all of our research, the number one thing that we find moves the needle in a significant way is how effectively the organization communicates their value proposition. So to start, we should probably define it. Like what is a value proposition? Uh, and let me start by defining what a value proposition is not. When I ask nonprofit or charitable fundraisers, what's your value proposition? They start spouting off about their mission, about their cause, about the things that they do. And I said, I'm sorry, time out. That's not a value proposition. Value proposition is not what you do. The value proposition is an answer to a fundamental question that every single donor has to hear the answer to, but they rarely are going to ask you out front. And that question is this, if I am your ideal donor, why should I give to you rather than some other organization or not at all? And when you ask that question, it's interesting the kind of responses that you get back when you ask that question as opposed to what's your value proposition. 
So there's a lot packed into that question. So let me unpack that a little bit. The question starts, if I am your ideal donor. So what it's saying is, first of all, it's a first person question, right? If I, right? So you have to put yourself in the mindset of your ideal donor, not all of your donors, but who is your ideal donor, right? And what that means is that an effective value proposition has to consider trade-offs. If you define what your ideal donor is, like your best donors, then you also are defining who is not your donor, right? And you need to understand like the, you know, the, the differences between those two different things. Because if you want your value proposition to be laser focused, it has to be about that ideal donor. And then it asks a question, why should I? It's asking for an argument. It's telling the organization, tell me why you and not someone else, right? And then there's a last part of the value proposition question says like, why should I give to you rather than some other organization? So it contemplates your competitors. And I know we don't like to think about like competitors in the charitable space. Like, you know, there's no, no competition among lighthouses, as they say. But the reality is, is like we are competing for donor dollars every single day. Yeah, you know, I think we talked about in the last episode during the last economic downturn, what we found is that where most donors would be giving maybe to six, eight, 10 organizations, but during economic downturn, they don't stop giving. They only give to the top three. That means you're in competition with the rest of the organizations there. So you have to consider what makes you different? What makes you special? What makes you donor worthy in the mind of your donor? And then the last part of the question is like, I can give or I can give not at all. So like, first of all, like, why should I give? Like, what, what is it special about actually giving? Because I can take that same money and I can go on a very nice vacation or holiday somewhere. I could go and buy a fancy something or other. You know what I mean? I could go spend the money on myself. So there has to be some sort of altruistic or, you know, some, some reason for giving, you know, at the foundation of an effective value proposition. I'm with you so far, Tim. And in terms of a process or some kind of framework for how any organization could quite deliberately take some steps to get answers to that question, where would we start? Well, what we found through our testing and research is that there's four key dimensions to an effective value proposition. Appeal, exclusivity, credibility, and clarity. So let me break each one of them down. So appeal, what does that mean? Whatever it is that is the reason why somebody should give to you has to be something that people like, that they want. It has to be a change that they want to see made in the world. It has to be something that people would embrace, right? They've got to like it. They've got to want it. Number two, exclusivity. And this, this is where it kind of con it considers like competitors. Like, what is it that you do that's different than any other charitable organization? If you say like, you know, uh, we provide clean water. Okay, great. Well, there's lots of organizations that provide clean water. So the number of like competing organizations that do the same thing you do, it dilutes the appeal of that particular claim, right? So you need to find an only statement. We are the only organization that dot, dot, dot. Like we're the only organization that provides clean water by also recycling plastic bottles or whatever the thing is. But what is your unique differentiator compared to other competing options? The third element is credibility. How do I trust it? How do I believe it? How do I know that you are the right organization to be able to go do this? What are the facts, the figures, the endorsements, the third party credibility indicators that make me know that my dollars that I give my money that I give to your organization is going to be properly stewarded to accomplish the claim that you've made. And then the final element is clarity, right? That is the foundation of effective value proposition. If I don't understand it, then I'm not going to find it appealing. I'm not going to understand how it's exclusive. And I'm not even going to believe you, right? 
because I don't understand it. So clarity is the absolute bedrock of an effective value proposition. And that's probably the hardest thing for most organizations to do because of the, the curse of knowledge that we discussed last time, right? So we, we live inside the organization. We see the organization very, very, very differently from that of our donor. And so we have a tendency to kind of use inside language that doesn't make sense outside the walls of our building. So clarity is the absolute foundation. So I want to tell you about a study that we did a few years ago. So we went to 127 charitable organizations and we asked them their value proposition. We went to them and we asked them four different ways. We went to their website. We found their phone number. We called them on the phone. We said, hey, I'm thinking of giving a gift to you. Can you tell me why should I give a gift to you rather than some other organization or not at all? And because Texas is a one-way recording state, we're able to record all the conversations and we listened to how people responded. We also sent them an email. So we went to the contact us form. We sent an email, hey, thinking to give it a gift. Tell me why should I give to you rather than some other organization, not at all. And we waited to see what the responses were. We direct messaged them on social media, asking that question. And then we also took a screenshot of their donation page to see what that page says, what the copy says to answer that specific question. And then we analyzed it across nine different verticals and across those four dimensions of appeal, exclusivity, credibility, and clarity. Couple of key insights that we, we discovered. Number one, 30% of the organizations that we sent an email to never responded. So this is a basic blocking and tackling customer service problem uh, is that people were just not home. Same thing on social media. I think it was 33% of the people that we messaged on social media. And then when we did get responses back, they weren't great. I mean, some of the responses are like, hey, you know, thanks so much for asking that question. You can go learn more at our website. I'm like, wait a second. I was on the website. I filled out the form, said, I don't get it please explain it to me. And you're sending me back to the website. It's just very unempathetic, right? And then we saw some crazy just things that people did in terms of they would say completely different things, whether we're talking to them on the phone or you know receiving an email back for them or you know getting a response from their social media coordinator. So there was like conflicting messages, like nonprofits were speaking with forked tongue. And so we've took all that data, we analyzed it. And then we said, okay, how can we help organizations develop a process to build an effective value proposition. And this would be something I think all of your listeners should, should take to heart and maybe consider doing uh, with a leadership retreat or with a board or, or you know, even with a group of great of, of trusted donors, it would be great to do. So here's the exercise. Number one, get all those people together in one room. And the first step of the process is you put on the whiteboard uh, or the chalkboard, you say, okay, here's the question we're here to solve. If I'm the ideal donor, why should our donor give to us rather than some other organization or not at all. And then everybody just spitfire as many different reasons, right? That somebody should give and exhaust that process until you get to the very end. I mean, sometimes we'll come out of that with 50, 60, maybe a hundred or more claims of value, like reasons that somebody should give. The next step of the process is critical. So then you take all of those reasons and you give every person uh, at the table, a sheet of paper, or you can do it in a spreadsheet, however you want to do it. And every single person needs to score the perceived appeal of that claim and the perceived exclusivity on a scale of one to five. So if it's super appealing, like, oh my gosh, like we can feed every person in the world. That's super appealing. Everybody would rate that a five on a one to five scale, right? And then if you say, okay, well, what's the exclusivity of that claim? And, well, it's like, well, if everybody in the world can do that, or I mean, if there's like, you know, hundreds of organizations trying to solve like world hunger, then it's probably like, I don't know, maybe a two, you know, on the scale. So it's not very exclusive. So have every single person do that independently. And then the next step of the process is you go around the room and you have everybody share their scores and you have to have like a quarter that's going to go and just, you know, mark them all down. 
And what you're looking for is tight grouping. Like I scored it a five, you scored it a four, uh, she scored it a five, and then somebody else scores it a one. You're like, wait a second, hold on. Why would you have scored a one when we'd scored it a five? And this, and this is where the clarity piece comes into the mix, right? And so they say, well, you know, I scored it a one because I thought it meant this. And you're like, well, we scored it a five and a four because we thought it meant this. Like, oh, we have a clarity problem. How do we solve that problem and rewrite the claim and then see if you can get consensus? So you do that for every single one of these claims. You go through that process. What you're looking for is what is the highest appealing claims and what are the most exclusive claims? Where that overlap is, those are going to give you like your best claims of value for why somebody should give. The next step of the process, then you say, okay, based on how many we've been able to, you know, the five or six or seven top claims, what are the third party credibility indicators? What are the facts? What are the figures? Where is the data? Where is the endorsements? Where's the things that prove that these things are in fact true? How do we trust them? How can a, a donor trust them that doesn't know us? Like what's the data tell us? And then you try to like identify every single piece of data that validates the claim that you make. And then once you have that, you now have the foundation of what I call a value proposition argument. So go back to the original question. Why should I give to you? It starts with the word because, because we are the only organization that does this. And you can trust it because it's been validated by this and this and this. And we also do this and we, you know, and it's going through and it's laying out the reasons why somebody should give, why somebody should trust the organization. Once you have that, then it's time. Then the fun part begins. That's when you can begin to experiment with it. And one of the simple things I would have everybody do is just go, you know, have somebody take that value proposition argument and turn it into copy for your website. And that one simple thing, put it on your donation page. And we've done that over and over again. And we see two, three, four, 500% increases in uh, donor conversion just by making that one simple change of adding a value proposition argument to a donation experience. Hi, it's Rob. And I wanted to quickly let you know about our two flagship training programs designed to help you grow high value fundraising results. That's the Corporate Mastery Program and the Major Gifts Mastery Program, which both start again in late January 2023. These programs help you make progress through a combination of masterclasses and individual coaching support. To give you a sense of how helpful it can be to be part of a supportive group across six months, as well as the difference that the individual coaching can make, here is a clip from Camilla, who took part in the most recent Major Gifts Mastery Program. You get to work with a coach one-on-one, -on -one, you have check-ins in between. It felt like it was a much more meaningful engagement with the training program. You know, I've done the one-day courses, which can be great if you've got something little that you just want to learn about, but this felt like it was really quite deeply ingrained in my year and the sort of planning that I was doing within my organization, but also with my personal development and career development. And I think it's a really good investment of your time and you know that whatever it is that you're trying to get out of that training, you know that you'll be able to find it throughout the full six months. So yeah, do it. To find out more about the upcoming corporate partnerships or Major Gifts Mastery programs, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. For now, let's get back to my discussion with Tim about why and how to create an effective value proposition. I've got a couple of questions. One, I mean, there's so many things we could dive into here, but one of them is to do with the exclusivity, whereby if this nonprofit or charity is regionally based, or it's quite small, and it only claims to help people in a local area, am I right to think it's okay that there can be another homelessness shelter 
in another part of London or another part of the country or another area ambulance elsewhere, you don't have to be the only one in the world. Right. You achieve that ex exclusivity in terms of within this area, we're the only one that does this thing really well. Is that correct? Excellent. That's an excellent example of how to identify the exclusivity of your value claim. That's a perfect example. Absolutely. Geography is one way. Okay. And then my other question was going to be remembering some things you said in that original interview we did, just in terms of jumping ahead to why incredibly quickly this can bring more value into your organization. Because I don't know if all of our listeners have heard that original advice you gave, but I was fascinated when you said that many charities make the mistake of trying to keep the donation page actually too sparse because right. we've heard about nudge theory and not too many choices and don't overwhelm them. And you were saying, actually, that's a place where actually you do need some copy because of all the questions that are coming up in people's minds when you're asking them to put cognitive and indeed generous effort into filling out certain forms and details and finding their credit card details and so on. Actually, paradoxically to me, that's a place where you do need some copy to help them tune into their values of why they are the kind of person that wants to solve this problem and be generous here. So if someone hasn't listened to the other episode, let alone other places on your website, a key place that they should test this is making sure that on the donation page, they are getting these messages clear there. Absolutely. So, so think about, okay, let, let me give you like a, a mental picture. So let's think about like a fulcrum, right? So it's kind of like, you've got this platform and it's sitting on a fulcrum and on one end of the, of the scale is, is the cost factors, right? So that's the cost. The other side of the scale are the value factors, right? What the donor is doing, and by the way, they're not even consciously aware that they're doing this. The donor is constantly weighing the perceived value of giving a charitable donation versus the perceived costs. And if the cost outweighs the value, the donor will not give. If the value outweighs the cost, the donor will give. So let, let's take that concept and bring it to your donation page, okay? When you go to the donation page and all it says is donate now to our charitable organization, and it has a form, and that form has all of these fields that you have to fill out. Every additional field, every additional element in the giving process of completing the transaction adds friction to the process. And if you don't think that that's true, let me give you an example. You don't have social security numbers uh, in the UK, do you? Yes. I think in most countries, there's an equivalent to that. In some countries, it would be national insurance number. Okay. Well, in the US, it's a very sensitive number. You don't want to give that out because like somebody could go and basically steal your identity and, and you're over, right? So if I ask somebody on my donation page to put in their social security number or their unique identifier number or their passport number, they're probably going to be like, no way I'm going to give you that information. So that's adding friction, anxiety into the process and they bail and they're out of there, right? So that's, that's how like the different pieces of data we request adds mental costs to the transaction. Now, you can't have a completely frictionless form. A frictionless form, uh, there would be no conversion, right? You have to have some elements. I have to get the person's name. I have to get their postal address. I have to get their credit card information or their payment information at a minimum, right, to complete the transaction. So there's going to be friction. How do you offset that friction? How do you offset the cost, the mental cost of completing the transaction? And you do that by adding value. And how do you do that on a web page? 
is by adding copy that lays out the reasons, the compelling reasons why somebody should give to you rather than someone else or not at all. So by doing that, you start to tip the scale. Yes, there's cost on there, but there's also now this value factor of, oh, this is what my donation is going to accomplish. And this is why I can trust this organization. And this is, this is why I really want to continue with what I have intended to do by clicking on that donate button. So, so that's how like, you know, this whole idea of like weighing cost and value in the mind of the donor relates to the experience they have when they're on your donation page. So thank you so much, Tim. I've got a good sense of what these four elements are and the kind of process. It's going to take some work, but I think it's going to bring other benefits anyway in bringing some people together to ask these questions. There's going to be whatever happens, some increased involvement and motivation and connection to why we love this organization so much anyway, in addition to the stated output of improving this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could give me, uh, for instance, an example of the kinds of messaging that might come out of that process so that the listeners can think of, oh, okay, so my version of that could be equivalent somehow. Yeah. So uh, let me give you an example. So so we were working with a historical association, actually it was the Texas State Historical Association. And they had a, a donation page that had very minimal copy. And I mean, their copy basically said, we wrote the book on Texas history and that was it. And it said donate. And so we challenged that. And, and one of the main reasons why we challenged that is because when we started to peel back and look at data, so we looked at their web analytic data. We, we saw that, number one, this organization had 25,000 articles about Texas history on their website. Number two, the people that came to the website would read article after article after article after article. And number three, like the, the people that read all those articles, they were very long form articles. There was lots of copy on the page. So we, we took all that insight. We said, okay, these are people that read and they like to you know basically like extract value through the process of reading, let's give them something to read about why they should give to the Texas State Historical Association. And so we laid out this value proposition that was really about like access and belonging. Like you are among the exclusive group of people that just care about protecting the Texas history. And like you care about this stuff and, and we know that you, you read this stuff. And so we want to give you insider access to even more, you know, as a member of the Texas State Historical Association. So we laid out this whole value proposition that was around this whole kind of idea that the people that give to this organization, number one, care very deeply about the mission of this organization. And two, they they want to be considered to be insiders. They want to feel like they have some sort of access that the general public doesn't have. And so that was kind of like the value chain that we built and, and wrote the copy base off of. We ran an experiment. And by the way, the executive director of this organization did not like the page that we developed. It was so long, it scrolled forever. And then we buried the donation form at the very end of the page. And conventional wisdom would say, well, if you bury it below the fold, nobody's ever going to see it. No, nobody's going to complete it. Well, we said, okay, let's run the test. We ran an experiment. It produced 147.5% increase in donor conversion uh, by adding all that copy and burying the donation form at the end of the page. And uh, we looked at the data and we were presenting it to the executive director. And he said, well, you know, why is that? And I said, he's like, who would read that? And I said, yeah, I'll tell you who will read that. Your ideal donor would read that. By creating this 
we actually added friction. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, adding all that copy added friction, but it also added tremendous value. It helped people understand the reasons why they should give and support this work. And it laid out all these claims and it talked about their exclusivity of you know being the only one that produces this annual Texas Almanac every two years and how they've published more articles than anybody else. And so there's all these data things that validated, that gave credibility to the organization's claims. And so by the time the person got to the end of that, they said, of course, I'm going to join. And here's the added benefit. This is, this is why I love value proposition so much more than anything else. And this is what separates nonprofit charitable organizations from for-profit organizations. If you think about a for-profit like transaction, like you're going to go buy something from you know, a website, it has a fixed price. Here's how much this item costs. Do you want it or do you not want it? Do you see enough value in what the cost is versus what the value that you perceive you're going to get from that item? Nonprofits, charitable organizations, NGOs, we don't have a fixed price. Our customers determine the price. Our donors decide how much they're going to give. And based off our research and testing, when you lay out a lucid, compelling value proposition, and it makes sense in the mind of the donor, not only do you get more people to give, but they give larger gift amounts. So this has a doubling effect where it actually can exponentially grow the revenue creation uh, for your various different fundraising marketing efforts. So that's why value proposition is awesome. It's a twofer. It gets average you know, donation amount up and conversion rate up. Yeah, what a great example. And one thing that I'm already realizing is once you get clarity on that and you get ever more confidence in it because you've tested it and it's working, I think there's all kinds of other places where you can send that signal to do with, for instance, in this case, the identity of exclusivity, the identity of a person who is both intense and passionate and will go to the nth degree to consume or, or care about this value mm -hmm. and loves to be the insider. You know, we can make sure that those signals are sent on our tweets and on our blogs and on our other places speaking like a beacon to that kind of person in addition to the way it's already performing on this donation page and we can do it with ever more confidence can't we that's right absolutely yeah going back to that notion of the fulcrum or i guess the seesaw notion of we've got to really load up the one side in, in order to help people justify keeping going and overcoming for instance the the hassle or the status quo and i remember reading somewhere once that if we're not careful, most of what we try to load up to make that shift is largely logical because for instance, our organization is run a lot through logic and organization and systems and processes and we're proud of our strategy. But I remember someone saying, yes, logical reasons to buy now have their place but beware only doing those. You also need, and often it catapults much more powerfully if you include emotional reasons to buy now or emotional reasons to give now. Is that your experience? And what advice would you have to us to make sure that the emotion is there, not purely the logic of why us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, giving is an irrational behavior. It does not make logical sense. I go give my money to a charitable organization and I don't get anything tangible in return. So there's something that I get from that experience, but it's nothing tangible. 
What is it? Well, it's, it, it is an emotional kind of reaction, right? People give for a variety of different illogical emotional reasons. I give out of a sense, like for example, that history, uh, uh, historical association example, they were giving because they wanted to belong belonging is an emotional reason. And so how do we show them that they could belong? Well, by giving them access, insider access to this special community of people that are just like them. And you know, what does that access provide? Well, it's all this content and it's this trusted, trustworthy content that's been vetted. So I'm taking the, the emotional reason and I'm building off of it the logical train that supports it, right? So you're absolutely right. You have to lead with whatever that emotional you know, reason to give is first, but then you have to support it because people make a decision with their, with their heart, with their mind, with their gut, you know, and then they rationalize it with their, with their thinking. Is this the right thing to do? And so that's how you kind of like, you know, sequence those two things together. Story is a very impactful way to do that. Tell an effective story of somebody that has been affected by downtimes and now they're homeless and they're living there, but like they're, they're, they're somebody that's just like you, this could happen to you. Right. Um, and so you can be the difference maker to make sure that this person like has a warm place to stay and has food to eat and has you know uh, a community that they can feel like loved and cared for right uh, and then you kind of can go into like the reasons why you are the only organization in London that is doing this for these kinds of people and that's why your gift today is going to definitely impact somebody here in your local community so you can connect it back to the logical side of that value proposition argument but yes you've got to lead with the emotion and story is one of the way to do that yeah that makes sense and obviously a lot of this conversation has been about doing the thinking to enable your copy to send these signals. Yeah. But once you've got that, clearly copy is not the only means by which you right. send the signal of belonging or the signal of exclusivity or the signal of being the kind of person locally who st steps up and helps your community. Uh, power of visual and all the other tactics and ways in which we might send these signals need to come into it in addition to being able to articulate it in the copy. Just before we finish, is there any last thing you wanted to share about how once we've done this work, we might practically yeah. get value from this hard work of working this stuff out? Well, look, I, I, um, the reality is that like digital giving is still a smaller subset of the overall giving to any charitable organization. Um, I, I know that like the charitable giving report from Blackbond came out and I think it was like 13% of like total giving in this past year. So how do you like take what you're learning? But the cool thing about like digital and like the online experience is that you can very rapidly test it. So what I would suggest to you is to think about digital, not just from the standpoint of, as another revenue engine, but as an experimentation engine, this is the place where you test value proposition. You experiment with it with like real life people and donors. And then you take the learnings that you extract from those experiments, you evolve your understanding of your value proposition, and then you go push that out to your face-to-face -face program, to your legacy gift program, to your you know uh, events program, like to your direct mail. So to all these other channels can benefit from the rapid testing that can happen on uh, digital. And if you want to get the most value out of that testing, you've got to go and syndicate that across your entire fundraising portfolio. Yeah, that makes sense. But of course, you're so much more likely to do that and follow through on that good idea if you've properly tested it and you can yeah. 
persuade your colleagues in the different teams, look, this is what happened when we made this shift. I, that, that makes sense to me. Tim, I'd love to go deeper and deeper, but um, already this is going to be a long episode. So we must bring it to a close. Thank you so much for sharing step by step what some charities can go away and implement to improve the value proposition in this way. In terms of where people can go if they want to, A, find out more about this topic or B, access the hundreds of other experiments you've done and share the results and some of the free cheat sheets and and templates and ebooks and so on. Where could we go to access some more help? Well, the easiest place would be our, our website, nextafter.com. Uh, all of the research, all the templates, the guides, uh, uh, even uh, over 2,000 experiments are published on the website that you can go peruse. I'll also send you some very specific resources around value proposition that you can include in the show notes for people that want to go deeper on this specific topic, because we could spend uh, at least four or five or a dozen more episodes just discussing value proposition because it's so impactful, uh, but I'll send those to you as well. That is very generous. Thank you, Tim. So I'll make sure I put those in the show notes for people to access. But for now, Tim, thank you so much for sharing all these ideas and examples. I really appreciate it. I look forward to catching up with you for another episode at some point. For now, Tim Kuchuriak, thank you and bye-bye. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. I hope you found these ideas helpful. If you've not already subscribed to the Fundraising Bright Spots show, please do that now so that you don't miss out on any of the new episodes we've got coming up. You'll also get instant access to all of our back catalogue, including episode 114, in which Tim shares three things you can do to boost fundraising income in tough times. We've provided a full transcript plus links to various resources from Tim to help you develop an effective value proposition. It's all in the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Now, if you work in corporate partnerships or major donor fundraising, I'm excited to let you know that we've decided to bring forward the date of the next Corporate Mastery and Major Gifts Mastery programs to start in late January 2023. To find out more, check out the information on our website at brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media so that we can spread the word and help as many non-profits and charities as we possibly can. Thank you for your help. Tim and I are both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for listening today. Best of luck with your fundraising and I look forward to sharing more ideas and examples with you very soon.